Good afternoon, Arsenal fans, and welcome to the latest 49 Undefeated podcast. I'm joined by Andy Ha, our social media editor. Good afternoon, Andy. Afternoon, Tom. All right? Not too bad, thank you. And joined by Kevin Byrne for a debut on the Arsenal podcast. I'm, I'm glad to say that Kev's a big gooner and he's been wanting to come on this podcast. I hope you've been wanting to come on the podcast. Well, yeah, I've, I've been speculating here. I've been resigned to the Spurs and Chelsea podcast for the last while. He's so. been holding it in, so <laughs> he's just going to unleash a load of opinions. And, he's finally been and promoted to the big time yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's nice to be here at a top four podcast uh, <laughs> nice that's nice this, nice. Is why, this is why we've got Kevin nice bit of shade thrown there <laughs> this, is, um, this is my bitterness coming through so that's how you know I'm a gooner <laughs> <laughs> lads um, we'll, we'll try and be as serious as possible um, Andrew Jonker has moved from Arsenal to Wolfsburg all gone wrong for him at Arsenal, from what we hear, from the whispers around the club, that he wasn't wasn't considered a particularly popular figure around the club. He was responsible for um, the appointment of Thierry Henry uh, in the academy teams. Arsene Wenger ultimately overruled that, saying that Henry couldn't combine that work with his, his Sky Sports punditry duties. Yep. He's you know suffered failure with the under 19s in the UEFA Youth League. He's not ha- he's not been able to kind of ensure the progress um, from academy through to first team that you know many would expect no um, there's there there have been issues with the Irish the Arsenal youth team for a while now though Uh, you know winning stuff at youth level is great but it really doesn't mean a whole lot if players aren't coming through so like lately we've had Awobi coming through uh, Maitland Niles and Rennet Adelaide are trying to break through at the moment. So it is a bit harsh to judge him on purely on results because I think, you know, at youth level, it is, you do want to build something for the future. But at the same time, you can't really do that if you're not getting through to the latter stages of competitions like the, the Youth Champions League. The under 19s were struggling there. So, yeah, he's not too popular. So I don't think Arsenal will necessarily miss him too much. There are questions raised about his ability to coach. Like you said, the Henri incident. Um, so it's not a huge surprise to see him leave. Arsenal were linked only last month with uh, Pep Segura from Barcelona. Course, yeah. So it's clear that they've been searching for a replacement anyway. I think the main thing that's caught people off guard is the fact that he's brought Jumberg with him. Um, who was working with the Arsenal under-15s, I believe it was. Yes, and that's um, created its own debate of how are Arsenal allowing all of all of their kind of um, former players, personnel that know the club inside out, know the fabric of the club, how are they just allowing these these people to slip through the cracks? We've had Henri, we've had Vieira coming out and making rather public pleas about how, you know... Arsenal need to almost listen to their you know the former players they've had who've experienced great success obviously Robert Perez is involved in a in some capacity with Arsenal but does anyone know what he's doing because he just seems to be training <laughs> with exactly. the club every it doesn't, day it doesn't look to be a particularly hands on role that he's in it, I think there's a, there's a feeling of ambiguity about I think he's like an unofficial coach is he exactly and yeah. I think there's a feeling of as I say ambiguity and uncertainty about Arsenal at the moment in terms of youth development. I mean, the signing of Cohen Bramwell in January was almost a bit of an anomaly from 
recent transfer dealings because it was like strengthening the under 23s ranks. You look in that team at the moment and there are odd talents here and there. Steffi Mavadidis scored a lot of goals, watched the game last week and did quite a um, detailed um, live blog from the game and scout report. Rob Holding obviously stole the headlines, Danny Welbeck played, but there aren't that many players from the lesser ranks that are looking like they can immediately make the step up to the first team. Yeah, I mean, obviously Rene Adelaide was the, the big one that actually made the jump. But touch, touching on what Kev said about Jonker not having a great reputation like coaching-wise, I think that's quite strange, isn't it, really? Given that he's been poached now to go and join a relegation battle in Germany. It's like, if you, if you can't coach the under-19s... Then... Well, it, it's just a strange move in yeah. general, really. They're... Wolfsburg, you know, they, they were winning the Bundesliga not too long ago. They were a Champions League team quite recently, and now they might be slipping down into the second tier of German football. So they're they're obviously desperate. Um, he's been there before as an assistant coach. It's where he was directly before he was at Arsenal, so he knows the club. But what what you're saying about kind of losing out on these former players, there's a balance to be had. You can't be giving players jobs just because they've played for the team. But at the same time. It's, I think, to be honest with you, the, the one that I find most embarrassing is having Mikel Arteta retire as club captain to yeah. take up a coaching role with Manchester City. How does that even happen? Absolutely, and and I think I've raised the uh, the kind of the idea that we're letting these former players go because you look at what Chelsea are doing; they're inviting Michael Essien, Michael Balak, etc., back to the club frequently. They're keeping them involved with. For the first team, the youth players, they are making a conscious attempt in my mind to keep those players in- yeah. involved and making them a part of the club. And Arsenal are going the completely in a completely different yeah. direction. Yeah, I mean, it might be about the coaching opportunities that they're provided with. I guess maybe Arteta wasn't offered a role with the first team. Maybe it was just with the youth team, and yeah. he's, he's just he just thought if I've got the chance to go and coach the first team with Pep Guardiola I'm going to do it um, because you know in recent years the only person who's actually broken into that sort of first team coaching setup is, is obviously Steve Bold uh, and he's assistant now but um, yeah I mean just like Jumberg Jumberg non-real coaching the kids so maybe Arteta was offered a similar role and he just thought do you think it's, it's me. do you think it's linked to Wenger's autonomy over club affairs and generally proceedings at Arsenal or do you think that's too simplistic to say Kev uh, it's part of it. Um, at the end of the day, Wenger has so much control that these are his decisions. And he'll know these players so well that if he says he's not ready yet or I don't want him there, nobody at that club, nobody at Arsenal is going to overrule him. But, you know, it's, it is it is kind of sad, though, to see Vieira coming through with Manchester City, Arteta going through with Manchester City. Uh, I know Adams didn't turn out to be a very good coach, but... <laughs> He had to go through with Portsmouth and all that. It is kind of strange that there doesn't seem to be a lot of opportunities for these former players, and it's something that Arsenal have had a good history with. Bob Wilson, Pat Rice, mm-hmm. you know, David O'Leary went elsewhere, but, you know, it is it is kind of strange. and yeah, You have to wonder if it's because Wenger doesn't like to be challenged by players who he used to coach well this is it that Bora Primrak who's been there since since I was little I think since I was you know so however tall he he's considered a bit of a yes man and I think I don't think that's a fair 
label that's put on every coach at Arsenal. I think that's just become a fashionable term now to say, you know, everyone's beneath Wenger and so they are just completely agreeing with everything he says. I'm not personally convinced that's entirely the case, but while you have all these ex-players saying, look, what's going on? Why, why are you continuing to exclude us? People are going to continue to have that assumption of the staff that he's got on his team. Yeah, just touching on what Kev said, I think obviously these former players, you know, they shouldn't just be given a chance because they played for Arsenal. They need to be qualified as well. But um, you know, I, I guess it, it, I, in my in my mind, it's probably because Wenger likes a bit of stability. He's, he's had the same sort of coach, coaching setup for for years and years. And until people like Pat Rice, who obviously retire, then he brings in Bold. I don't think he likes to change it too much. You've had people like Jerry Payton, who's coached the goal goalkeepers for years and years now. Um, so maybe it's just a case of not you know, no one leaving, so he doesn't feel like he needs to bring another former player in. To, yeah, to but, but, but also you saw kind of when Bold took over uh, as assistant manager from Rice, and Arsenal's defence at the beginning of that season was very strong for the first month, and there was a lot written praising Bold's influence on the defensive tactics, and you could see that that, that immediately annoyed Wenger. It, like very very quickly it seemed to really ruffle him the wrong way this kind of implication that Bold was in charge of the defence and that he was going to be the saviour of Arsenal season and all of that and after the after the Bradford I remember writing it ahead of um, the Southampton FA Cup game last month that there was probably the most tense it got between the two of them was post Bradford City when that was arguably one of the lowest points of Arsene Wenger's Arsenal career um, and there were a lot of reports off the back of that that there was a real friction there because Bold wasn't being allowed to do what he wanted to do on the training ground he's obviously come out and denied that he, he would but you do you you look at that Arsenal defence you still look at it no matter what changes in that defence you continue to look at it season after season and think that's not that's not a defence that Boldy's having an impact on that's not a defence that he's he's getting he's, he's going up to Mustafi on the training ground and saying right you need to position yourself there Koscielny you need to cover for him there getting the full backs to work in tandem I, I'm not seeing any tangible evidence on a, on a sustainable period that, yeah. that Baldi's having an impact there well yeah that's, that's the problem either he's not been given the space to do that and he needs to be given more free reign over the defence or he is being given the space, and they're still making the same mistakes, in which case he should probably go. Because these are issues that have been going on at Arsenal pretty much since, you know, that back four left of Adams, Keown, Winterburn and Dixon, and Bold himself as well. You know, it's, it's way too simplistic to say that Wenger inherited this, you know, already a world-class back four, but it, he did... There's no denying that, and it's it's just incredibly frustrating for Arsenal fans to see these issues over and over again, and to not have any defenders be coming through the youth system to bring it back to Brady and to Junker. It's very frustrating. We've got kind of wing backs coming through, but the centre backs we've had over the last few years, Holding we bought from Bolton, Chambers we bought from Southampton. Uh, Kashani from the French leagues 
Gabriel. I mean, there's some. There are some high hopes for Christian Bielik, who's obviously gone out to Birmingham on loan, who's who's an option in defence, can play defence in midfield. He's one of few, I think. He's obviously out on loan, but he's one of few that I think that there are genuinely high hopes for. But you look at it at the moment. Ainsley Maitland-Niles I'd argue of the two of him and Rain Adelaide that Maitland-Niles probably is more deserving of game time from what from what I've seen from both of them the thing, for, the thing about Maitland-Niles is they don't know if they want to play him at right back or well, centre of midfield it's exactly what I was going to say it, it, it's, it's like when Colo Torres started at Arsenal it feels like Debussy and Jenkinson are clearly so far down the pecking order now that they look at the right back position and go oh well we can do a job there against certain teams whether now he, he may well come in against Lincoln, it depends. It depends whether Wenger really wants to go strong for that game or not. But you don't look at many fixtures now for the remainder of the season where you'd earmark that one and go Maitland Niles will probably play in that. It, I, I agree with you. I just worry that the competition in midfield. Ironically, that's an area of the team that can be significantly improved on at the moment. But I just worry that he's going to get drowned out a little bit because yeah. there's just so much competition. Well, there's too much at stake at the moment for of course for Wenger to be kind of experimenting. Experimenting, yeah. Like it's it'll be interesting to see what kind of team he picks against Bayern in the second leg there because it that ties all but over. Is he going to give up on it entirely, or are they going to try? Do the usual glorious failure, glorious defeat in the second leg that brings the upswing to finish the season or not? So I think he'll go strong. Like I, I think he has to because if he doesn't, they're just going to get embarrassed yeah. again. And there's only so many of those you can take in a season. And, and either way, Sanchez was just demand to play anyway. Well, <laughs> you can't tell him just to have a rest, can you? I think it possibly depends on the mood following this weekend's game, which um, we'll come on to now. Um, Liverpool lost. Do we have to? Well, I, I think last night's maybe given us a bit more hope than we previously had. Strangely, um, it's made me a bit more nervous. It's it's worried me. <laughs> well, I'm in the same I'm in the same boat. I I still think it's a game which I'd be surprised if Arsenal get anything from. It's because a game I would I would snap your hand off for a point. Um, yeah, absolutely. Given our record in recent years and away at the top teams. Um, there are plenty of lessons for me to be learned from the, the Spurs game. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that. Yeah. And I can see us repeating every one of their mistakes. I can see Mane getting in behind the defence and banging in two goals in quick succession and ending the game as a contest early on. Mm. And that's what really worries me, is that you can see this coming. It's like watching a car crash. And I don't know that Wenger... Is I don't know. He's astute enough to. Uh... He's it, he he has to know. He has to know that this is the biggest threat. It's whether or not he can kind of suck up his pride and just say maybe we need to close up for the first twenty minutes. Hmm. Who does he go with in his team then? Because well, just I mean, going back to the Spurs Liverpool Spurs game, Klopp got it spot on. Then he just he just told his team to press Wanyama as soon as Wanyama receives the ball off the centre backs. They just hounded him and and, and he just. Gave it away every time. I think that was led to the first goal, uh, and you can almost imagine it happening to Coquelin on a regular basis on Saturday night. Um, I hope, to, I hope to God, Coquelin and Wobi are not on that starting team. Hmm. I wonder whether he will go with a midfield two of Coquelin and El Nenny as just. A... <laughs> well, no, El Nenny's injured, isn't he? Of course. Yeah. Sorry, Coquelin, Coquelin and Jacker. Yeah. To just block. 
midfield off. I think I think Xhaka again is going to be key because we're going to need someone that's going to get the ball off the back four, will turn, feed the ball forward and get attackers in behind. And again, it, it seems like a perfect opportunity to play Danny Welbeck. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool, oh, I mean, Liverpool are going to leave space in behind, that's obvious. Um, and that's what Leicester exploited so well last night. So, yeah, you're, you're right. I thought Liverpool were really, really poor in the fullback areas last night. Really poor. They, they have been for a long time. And they were poor all over last night. Vardy's pace showed you that yeah. what you can do. Welbeck, Admittedly, not Anfield, but... Yeah. I mean, I, I, ideally, I'd like to see Welbeck and Walcott starting uh, on Saturday night. I think, you might go one of them, but... Um, I think one big problem with last night is it probably will tempt Klopp to leave Lucas out of his starting game <laughs> uh, on Saturday, which but is uh, a shame. Yeah, I mean, but saying that, I think if Henderson Henderson's a big doubt, and if, if he does miss the game, he's, he's a big miss for them. He really is. He, he, he sets the tempo for that midfield. And um, Well, that was one of the keys for me for the for the Spurs game. I thought he... Yeah, he was he was excellent. And um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a, a big blow for them. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Well, uh, Liverpool have always been a very emotional club and even when they're struggling they can always kind of pick themselves up for these kind of late games at Anfield against a big side I think they've won maybe two games this year one of them was the Spurs match so you know when the right opposition is there they've always been able to pick themselves up and especially with someone like Klopp who's such an emotional manager so, you know, I, I, you worry that they're gonna come out and blitz us for the first twenty minutes and just kind of. They've the been a, they've been a really strange team this year. I think even stranger than Arsenal, which is saying yeah. something. They've I think their record against the top teams. I don't think they've lost one yet, have they? Yeah, uh, but four of their five defeats have come against yeah. teams who were in the relegation zone. Exactly, at exactly. This is what I was going to allude to. So, you know, judging by their record against the big sides, especially at home, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a tough game. Um, and. And yet you say like about how much, how much you have to come to expect it. Like the the fast start is such an inevitability that we we saw it in the three all game last season where Firmino scored after ten minutes or so. I know Ramsey got one back, but it was just a really naive start to the game from Arsenal, and they they have to get on the front foot early on Saturday for me otherwise it could be curtains by half time I think I, I could see a repeat of the the game the first day of the season the 4-3 game where they they went they went 4-1 up and then we almost got back into it but you know you can't play that openly against Liverpool you can't get into a situation where you're letting them score four goals and I don't care that we came back and scored two more because you still lost and it was kind of a disaster. I can tell that one really grates with you. Just, just in your voice there. <laughs> that, that one was really tugging at the. Yeah, well, it's just it's it's so frustrating to. Well, I, I'm to just, lose all hope in the first yeah. half of the season. The last couple of seasons at Anfield have just been absolutely sickening, haven't they? All those late equalisers. We, we've led like several times now, haven't we? Going into the last five minutes, if we're leading two one or three two going into the last five, you, know, you almost expect it. Expect the equaliser. <laughs> yeah, it's just. It's just the same yeah. things repeating over and over and over. I come on, where's the positivity? Well, this is what I was going to say. We, as Arsenal fans, have to believe that top four is still within our. It was, I, it's still I still think we will. And yeah. you, you look at Liverpool's result against Leicester; they look like they really are suffering at the moment. It's vital 
that Arsenal don't give them a route back in. If if Arsenal stop Liverpool from winning this weekend, if you look at it the other way, that could have a really detrimental impact on them because now all of a sudden they need a big win. They're in a tailspin. Exactly, and I think the key key thing for me, which is why. I think a lot of Arsenal fans are a bit more worried this season than they probably have been in previous years. Is you look at the, some of the remaining fixtures. I mean, Spurs look like they have a fairly, fairly easy running by comparison. I know they've got Manchester United at home to come. I've got a tough game on the at the end of April there. Of course, we're, let's, not, we're United. Let's not forget. That. <laughs> let's not forget that. But we've got to go there. We've got to play United and City okay at home, but we've got to play both of them at home. They will be crucial games. United are on a roll at the moment, and they look like they could just you know, steamroll their way into that top four. At the moment, you'd have to say of the teams in that top four that Arsenal and Liverpool look most susceptible. So can you make a case when we've got still got to go to the lane, we've still got to go to... Um, uh, where else have we the got Britannia. to go? Britannia on the final um, penultimate game of the season still got United still got City Liverpool game this weekend there are some big 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 games coming up no you're both right it's, it's, got, it's, it's one of those sort of pivotal weekends I think this, this weekend I think United have got Bournemouth at home so that, that should be a three point win for them um, and that if, if they win and we lose they, they go above us so it says it all really doesn't it yeah it's I mean I, I don't think United are as good as people are making them out to be I think there's this kind of weird situation where United are kind of consistently sixth for the past forever, it seems. They're winning a lot, though. squeeze that one in. Yeah, well, you know, we enough fourth-place jokes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it's kind of strange because they're Man United and they've been winning an awful lot and Jose Mourinho is there. And yet... When was the last time you sat down and watched a full Man United game? People aren't really actually watching them that much. And in the games that you do watch them, there still are like a lot of problems in that team. Well, nil-nil with Hull City, one all at Stoke City. They they do still look like a team that they they are on. They have been obviously on an unbeaten run, but they do look like a team that will still drop points because you, you look at all the top teams in the Premier League. Every one of the top five, I believe, currently has scored more than 50 goals. Manchester United don't have that. It feels like, in terms of a balance between from Chelsea down to Arsenal, you've got a better balance for goals for, goals against. Liverpool's defence is costing them big time. They'll yeah. always get, they're always going to score goals, but always going to sh- ship them at the other end. Which is say that for Arsenal, can you as well? It, well, that that's it. I think you know Chelsea and Tottenham. You could probably argue have the, the best balance of the two teams well, at the moment. Well, but. B- before Tottenham won four 0 at the weekend, they had a better, better goal difference of just two than Arsenal. So you know they're. <sighs> We do, we, do, we do have a tendency to kind of overreact to kind of big defensive mistakes for Arsenal. But they're still... I think Arsenal may be in the top five in the European leagues in terms of goals scored. Scoring a lot more than you'd think. And with Man United, it kind of just seems to be the Zlatan Ibrahimovic show. Which, I guarantee you, if that was Arsenal, we would never hear the end of it. And you would not have everyone fawning over how great the Zlatan is. And I, I hate the cult of personality around Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He's a very good player. 
but I really just hate the dare to Zlatan and all that stuff and he's the perfect Manchester United player for that exact reason but you just know if if Arsenal had someone like Ibrahim Ridge who carried us to a League Cup title it would be nothing but mocking you, you wouldn't have people talking about how much resilience that they showed and how great it was that you know, at the end of the game, Mourinho said that he wasn't that happy with the win. If that was Arsenal, everyone mm-hmm. would be talking about how how sour Wenger is and how you're a one-man team. So. And and I was going to say, you, you look at all the season panning out ahead of this game, and it's another make-or-break fixture. But you look look at it on paper, and it is indicative of just about every Arsenal season over the last few years. Going strong in the FA Cup, you'd have to make us. Cert, more or less, and I'm going to now regret that. I know when Lincoln score a 90th minute win at the Emirates. Um, it's going to be a penalty as well. <laughs> extra time. Yeah. Could go extra time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you'd have to make us cert yeah. for the semi finals. A trip to Wembley. Back there. Okay, admittedly, the competition this season looks a bit stronger in that you could feasibly have Spurs, City, Chelsea, mm. slash United, and Arsenal as your final four. But you look at, you look at that FA Cup. Um, fixture then you look at the league another make or break game coming up and sat in fourth doubts over whether we'll get it or not I mean Champions League exit on the horizon it's just the same this is why I think a lot of fans have just sort of had enough of uh, of this I think people just bought you know the same sort of season over and over again but you know I, I hope I'm not the only one who thinks that you know we just hope Wenger can go out on a high if he can win the FA Cup Maybe he'll, he'll leave when he, just like he should have done in 2014. A lot of people believe. So you know, lifting the FA Cup trophy at Wembley against Tottenham, against Tottenham at their adopted home. Oh, oh I mean, <laughs> just imagine it. <laughs> Saying that though, if you if you're telling me that we might play Tottenham at Wembley and, and lose, I think I'd rather go out against Lincoln. To be fair, to yeah, yeah, perfectly honest. But um, <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. I I wrote a piece a while ago um, before my time at football London um, basically outlining a semi-jokey argument that I have that Arsene Wenger sold his soul to the devil uh, in return for the Invincible season and his punishment wasn't that after the Invincible season he would fail miserably and he would Arsene would get relegated and he'd lose his job and he'd be you know disgraced as a manager Was it the Gabriel had to play for him no no <laughs> A much worse punishment oh, is the Sisyphus-like season that Arsenal have every year of pushing the stone all the way to the top and then Kashani falls over and the stone comes rolling down the hill and we pick ourselves up, we win that second leg, <laughs> we start to push it back up, we start the next season well, we go on a big winning streak and we figure out that if the Premier League ran from January to December, we would have won the league again. And oh, we're starting God. to feel great. <laughs> and then someone oh. falls over, makes a stupid mistake. Stone falls back to the bottom and we finish fourth again. And, and repeat. Just, and repeat and over and over because that, that's, the, that's the fate worse than death. <laughs> <laughs> I, really, I feel like I've lived all of that. I think I've lived the last 10 years just through your little anecdote. But yeah. it's... Like you look at Leicester, they won the league and now they're in a relegation battle. They still won the league. They still 
had that. Yeah. And no, I completely and, agree. And I, and I have friends who are Leicester fans, and you talk to them, and they're furious that Ranieri's gone. Oh, mate, they're I, absolutely livid. I, I watched the Ness and Dorman video the other day. I'd, I'd, I'd kill for that. Tears to the eye. <laughs> Tears to the eye. Anyway. Um, do we want to do predictions? I think we've probably <laughs> had better for the for the format of the podcast, but well, I suspect I suspect these will be quite reluctant ones. We'll, we'll, you'll uh, you'll thank me for this, Andy. We'll start yeah. with you. What do you think? Do you know what? I'll go for an optimistic two-two. I, I think both teams will score. If that's optimistic, I'd hate to see, <laughs> I'd hate to see what pessimistic well. is. Um, I think in in. Tune with my first appearance. Are you got, I was going to say you're going with head or heart here. I feel like you're torn between the two. I feel like heads telling you four nil Liverpool. <laughs> I think having you know for the first time in our podcast series and finally on the Arsenal podcast, it will also be the first time in our podcast series that I am predicting a loss for the team. Oh, I think it's going to be three two to Liverpool. Never, never invite Kev back. There's well, there's got to be goals. I I'm gonna try and be as brave. I I think Arsenal have to get something from this. I think it's that big that if Liverpool win, yeah, it's a real message. It's a real statement of intent from them then to go on and you'd imagine probably finish above us. I think Arsenal have to it, those four fixtures that they've got remaining against other members of the top six. I think they've got to be getting at least at least six points. Right, at least. So I'm the voice of optimism here. I, I just you think, think you think they could get six points or more out of those twelve from twelve. Yeah. The home games represent the keys for me. I think. Yeah, I think weirdly enough, I think the Man City game is the best chance we have. Yeah, um, we've got a good record against City at the Emirates. Got a good record against City at the Emirates, and Guardiola is not going to shut up sh- shop against us. Whereas Mourinho. Really seems to have Wenger's number. Saying that both both Manchester clubs, you know, could still be in Europe by then. I think United will be as well, definitely. So, you know, they've, they've all got distractions as well. Arsenal will probably be out. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see yeah. indeed. Did you did you give us your score then? Uh, I don't think I did. I'm making attendance. Yeah, he's just trying to slink away. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to join Andy in being optimistic. Optimistic. It, you can't see me on a podcast, but I am doing the inverted commas around optimistic. Um, to all, yeah. I mean, like, no Henderson, potentially That's Luca, the key. potentially Lucas in defence because Lovin's still injured. It's, it's all to play for. See what you guys seem to have not learned over the last decade of sporting <laughs> logic arts. doesn't well a year, work. a year to the day since Marcus Rashford scored a brace against Arsenal. Yeah. I think we can all yeah. resonate with well, that, that, that defeat is, in particular as very, one when Guillermo true. Varela lined up a right back for Manchester United. Need we say any more? Yeah, that, that's very See, true. what you have to do is you have to set your expectations really low. So anything above that is a win. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. That's I'm saying one. that we're going to lose because if if I'm right, then I'm right. And if I'm wrong, then I'm absolutely delighted. Mm. So hopefully right. next week I'll be back and I'll have a smile on my face about what an idiot I was. <laughs> And uh, we'll be back. Oh, a joyous week. point, yeah. Yeah, on a on a nice cheery note. Mm. Um, we'll be back. Um, I'm not sure if we'll do a pre buying or a post buying. We'll we'll, um, we'll 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 I'm sure we'll ponder over that. <laughs> oh, whether we can bring week. ourselves to do it. Yeah, exactly. Do we go for the the preview of the inevitable or the um, sort of breakdown of the well, inevitable? We we, um, we might 
record the podcast before the match, but just release it afterwards <laughs> because you can probably tell what's going to happen. That's if we get through, I'll, we should record it in the pub, to be quite honest. Uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there we go. Andy Hart is promising promising drinks for the for the whole football.london team there I think we can and all the listeners and all the listeners too right, indeed edit that out <laughs> <laughs> thank you Andy for joining us today pleasure thank you very much thank you Kev for your fantastic debut on the 49 Undefeated podcast thank you so much for finally having me <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah thank you to the listeners as well for joining us again um, as I say we'll be back next week do make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at ArsenalFC underscore FL um, and on Facebook too give us a like on there and uh, yeah come to www.football.london for all your latest Arsenal news and yeah let us know if you wanted to do a pre-match or a post-match for the Bayern please do please leave comments on the podcast and, um, and yeah thank you very much and uh, goodbye <laughs>